Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Well, also echo what uh, Barb said about the women's retreat. I happen to know Matt and Michelle Lovren. And Michelle, who's the speaker, uh, Matt Michelle, Matt teaches at our college, Grace Christian University, and Michelle's been very active in a lot of different ministries, and they've really had an impact, especially in a lot of young adults that are in our in our churches and in our ministries, and I know she's a great teacher, and you will really enjoy uh, her perspective, her teaching, and her passion for living for Christ. I want to encourage you to go. Barb mentioned that she said there'll be no dishes I think what she meant is you don't have to wash the dishes, but I'm not sure. But anyway, um, we'll see. So last week, uh, Wednesday night, during our Wednesday night clubs, Awana Pioneer Girls, uh, Save the Day Cafe, Choir Practice, and Junior High Youth Group. And Gary, uh, thank you, and Casey Kemper, and our sponsors for just a great job they're doing with our youth ministry right now. We've got a full activity schedule it's more than just activities, though. It's time to be together, to learn about the Lord, and to model for them, and to give our young people an opportunity to grow. And they are great young people. They're serving the Lord. They're serving here at church. They're sharing with their friends. And uh, I just want to thank you for, for the way that you're uh, uh, working our youth ministry right now. And so on Wednesday night, during that youth ministry, this was walking down the hallway. One of my friends here at church was in the library and he came out and says, because he was, his kids were in clubs and he was kind of hanging out here. He says, hey, hey, Jim, Jim. He says, I'm just reading this, uh, church history book here. And I, who's Mary Jane Shamaria? <laughs> I said, well, that was my sister, my older sister. He was reading over the list of, uh, uh the, uh, charter members of our church. And he's just saying, who's Mary Jane Shamaria? Name sounds familiar, right? And I said, yeah, that's my sister. I just told him briefly, as passing as I could, the story. Um, this is the book. The History of the Bream Bible Church, and the uh, volume two is the Ministry of the Bream Bible Church, that Larry and Judy Gabboy, dear brother Larry, who God called home, uh, right, this last year, uh, with his wife Judy, this is a real legacy that's been left for us, uh, went through all of our church records and pictures, and I mean, it is amazing. If you ever had a chance to go to the library and take some time to peruse this book, uh, if you're interested in our story of the Bream Bible Church, uh, it's in these two volumes. I think it's available on digital too, Gary. So you have a copy. And uh, I really encourage you. It's just a great opportunity. Our story. We want to talk this morning about faith stories. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we begin a new series. And we're going to uh, study through this epistle of Paul to Timothy. This is one of those epistles that we call the pastoral epistles because Timothy, first and second, and Titus were written to individuals, not to a church, although they are written to the church because these individuals were leaders in the church, and I think there was the assumption these would be read publicly in the church as well. First Timothy, or second Timothy, um, and we're going to be looking at a section here today on, I want to emphasize the story of faith. But let's pray as we do so. Father, we thank you for allowing us, for the freedom we have. Uh, we know, as, and we should always remember, as we gather every Lord's Day, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are not allowed to do this, or they do it in great danger. And we pray for them. We are one with them. 
We come today in freedom, and we thank you for that, to worship, to teach our children and our youth, to share the gospel, to worship together and open your word. Bless us now as we open your word. In Christ's name, may we hear it to our hearts from your voice. Amen. Also, let me say thank you for coming today. And when I say that, that's not a throwaway line. Um, I realize there are just so many things in our world today that draw our attention. And um, many of you are working hard in your busy lives. And to take this time to set aside, to come and just be here, I want you to know it's a real ministry. You're an encouragement to other people that are here today. And I want to thank you for coming and being a part of this ministry. And if you're visiting with us today, I hope you feel right at home here today. Uh, We're glad you're here. And uh, we want to open the word to God together. So today we're going to look at verses 3, just this section, verses 3 through 7. Paul says to Timothy, now remember, so, so Timothy is a younger man. We looked at last week that his mother and grandmother, we, his mother is mentioned in Acts chapter 16 when Paul came to his city in modern day Turkey. And it mentioned his mother was a Jewess, his mother was Jewish, and his father was a Gentile. It doesn't make any comment about his father's faith. The fact that it emphasizes his mother's religion does maybe indicate that she was the spiritual influence in his family, but we have to leave it there. We don't know. He was spoken of highly by the people there. Paul wanted to take him on his missionary journey, and he became Paul's one of Paul's traveling companions, as well as, as he comes to the, the context of Second Timothy, once again, by all appearances, this is Paul's last epistle. He's at the end of his life. We see this at the very end where he says, I've, I've finished the course, my race is finished. We believe he is in, the, in, in a prison, in a, more of a dungeon prison. He's no longer in house arrest in Rome. He is probably going to be soon executed uh, for his leadership in the Christian faith. This is under the reign of Nero. You've probably heard that name. It's a, it's a time of great persecution. It's a time where Christians, later on, we have some records of uh, under Nero's reign of some of the streets of Rome that uh, being lit at night with burning Christians on, on crosses. I mean, it, was a, it evolves into a horrible time of persecution for the, for the Christian faith all over the Roman world. It's during this time and it's also in this context that we come to the, let's skip over for a second to chapter 4, we come to the end of the book, and you can see the sort of the desperation of this time. Uh, in chapter 4, what we'll get at the end of the study, look at verse 9, and just kind of a little context of what's going on. Do your best to come to me, Timothy. Come quickly. Why? For Demas, because, this lo- because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas was one of Paul's, also one of Paul's younger men, helpers and companions in ministry. But he's, he's forsaken. He's gone. Crescens has gone to Galatia. It doesn't say why, but he's gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he helped me in the ministry. And, and, and Paul goes on to say that everyone, in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. And he tells us in this, in this context that all my friends in Asia have deserted me. It's like people can't get away from Paul fast enough. And, and we get this picture that there's, this, that there's a crisis in, the, in, in this early church here. 
in the, in the Roman world where people are leaving, people are afraid, people are deserting. Whether they came back or not, we leave that up to God. But, but Paul says, Timothy, this is what's going on. And this is the context of Second Timothy. It's a dangerous time. It's a challenging time. It's an urgent time. And it's interesting that, that Paul begins this letter to Timothy, this very personal letter, that's his, that's his last epistle, in verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul says, Timothy, I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you. So I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded lives in you also. We have sort of an emotional scene, don't we, here? That, that Paul, he says, I, I, I recall with, with tears. And, and, and he calls their, maybe their last parting and how he longs to see him. It's very important. There's a strong bond. There's a strong mentoring bond. There's a strong ministry bond with Paul and Timothy. And he shares this. And it's an emotional appeal as well here. And he says that I've been reminded of your faith, Timothy. I've been praying for you night and day. I've been praying for you night and day. Paul, as a rabbinic Jew, would have been used to praying at regular times and regular ways throughout the day. And he continues this in his life. And he says, I, I pray for you night and day. But the thing that, that comes to his mind is Timothy's faith story. It's interesting, this last week on Monday, we had the service for Doris Myers, a dear saint and uh, one of the matriarchs of our church family. And uh, the flowers here from that service is a reminder, and we appreciate that today. And we talked about this a little bit. We talked about this story of faith, this multiple generation. Here you have three generations, although this is fairly early in the church story. So we don't have 120 years, you know, but we have three generations of believers here, whether the grandmother and the mother, who both would be Jewish. If, if the mother's Jewish, then the grandmother would be Jewish. And that both of these people, whether they came to faith in Christ early uh, in the story or exactly what, but he says, you have this story of faith in your life, your grandmother, your mother. And he says, this is a sincere faith. And this word sincere is, is, a, is, a, is a word that has to do with this genuine nature of this faith. This is a real faith. It's sincere. And, I, and, I, and, and, and Paul says, Timothy, I know it was sincere in your mother, your grandmother, and I know that it is sincerely in you today. A story of faith. What is faith? This is the Christian faith. This is the initial faith. You know, we, we talk about faith in two ways. We talk about our initial faith in the Lord Jesus Christ where we receive his payment for our sins and we recognize our need for salvation. The cross on our wall here reminds us of that as part of our story as a church, as our story of faith. It reminds us that Jesus died on the cross. He paid for our sin. He rose from the dead and he offers it freely because he paid the price we couldn't pay. And we received God's righteousness that he gave to us when he became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is our story. And then there is the faith that we live by, our Christian faith, our living faith, our daily walk 
our faithful lives with him. And Paul says, Timothy, your life is genuine. It's sincere. And it was in your mother and your grandmother. You have a story of faith. You have a legacy of faith. I have a legacy of faith. My mother was a Christian. Uh, I believe her parents were Christians. Uh, her grandparents came from Wales. And, and I have a legacy of faith on that side. My, my father's side is not my legacy of faith. My father was Jewish, but he was not a believer as far as I know. People ask me, I say, you know what, that's up to the Lord. I don't, whatever God does in the closing moments of a person's life, that's up to God. My legacy of faith comes from my mother's side. My legacy of faith with this church family. It's one of those stories that we all go back and say, wow, it could have taken a different turn anywhere along the line. But uh, uh, Bjorn Anvict uh, picked up my sister to bring her to church. And then my mom, who had been a Christian but had not been attending, then she went to Emmanuel, and she brought us. And when our church started, and Pastor Bruce Kemper, a youth pastor, was part of this, my mom said, hey, that's, you know, the youth pastor, the youth ministry, that's, that's where we're going to be, that's, that's, that's where Bruce is going. And so this is how my story became intertwined with this story at this church here on this corner. You have a story of faith. But the interesting thing to me is sometimes what's overlooked in this passage is we see this clearly about Timothy. Timothy, the Christian faith dwelt in your mother and in your grandmother, and it's now in you. But Paul is making a connection as, as, the, as the father and the son. He calls Timothy his spiritual son. As the teacher and the, as the mentor and the student. As the apostle and the pastor. He makes a connection here. And I want you to note the connection. There's two stories of faith here. There is Timothy's story of faith, which is clearly laid out. But there's also Paul's story of faith. And he's making a connection there that we both have stories of faith that God is at work in our stories. Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. Why would Paul have to say with a clear conscience? Why would he have to include that? Well, I think as you read the epistles, we see that Paul was oftentimes under attack by others. That He was not really a genuine apostle. That he was not like the other apostles. After all, he was a persecutor of the church. After all, he was not a disciple and one who followed Jesus Christ during his lifetime. And, and we see this in some of the epistles where Paul keeps coming, has to come back to this and defend his apostleship and defend his calling. And Paul says, hey, I got a clear conscience about my story. But I want you to notice he connects his story with the story of the Old Testament. You see that? He says, I serve God. And the word here, serve, in the Greek, it's the word that translates in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that always reflects this temple-type service, this, word, this, this actual service to God in the temple, in the religious system of the Mosaic Law. He says, I serve God as my predecessors, my forefathers did, and I do so with a clear conscience. And I'd like to talk about that story this morning as well. Timothy's story, but Paul has a story as well. And it's a little different story. But you notice Paul doesn't say, my story began on the road to Damascus. Paul says, my story began 
in my entire life and connected with my story as a Jew, with the patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of course, Paul tells us in Romans and Galatians that Abraham, he is the father of all who come by faith, Jew and Gentile. It predates the law. It predates the giving of the Mosaic law because it says, God said to Abraham, Abraham, look at the stars of the sky. That's how many generations and children and descendants you will have. Abraham is a very old man. He is not going to have any children and he has to have one to start that process. And it's well beyond the time where that could possibly happen with him and Sarah. But God says, that's going to happen. And Abraham says, amen. I believe you. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And he becomes a father of all who come by faith. And Paul says, my story, my story goes back to my story as my people of faith that God has called. Let's look at a few accounts of this story. He, we get different parts of it in his in the New Testament. Can I just let's look at a couple of passages? One, I can read these to you if you'd like to turn to them. Galatians chapter 1. You may be familiar with Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, where he was out persecuting the church, seeking to bind them, to put them in prison, and kill them. He was, he was vigorously persecuting Christians, with the, trying to destroy the church. And the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and he it says, I saw the resurrected Lord. I was the last one to see the resurrected Lord. He saw him in some resurrected form on the road to Damascus when he was blinded. And God, and God and Christ said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up now. Go to Damascus. And, and we see Paul's conversion in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He says to the churches at Galatia, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Who was he worshiping? Who was Saul worshiping? Who was he serving? Was he serving a pagan god? Was he serving a Buddha? Was he serving an an, an idol? Was he serving Baal? No, he was serving who? God, Elohim. Yahweh, he was serving the one true God. And he says, I was serving him zealously, more than anybody else my age. But, notice verse 15, notice this. But when God, who set me apart, when? From birth. And then he called me by his grace. And then he was pleased to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, in me, so I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul's story of faith. Paul says, I serve with a clear conscience. And I, I, I've served the, the God my father served, Abraham. And the fathers always would, be served, always would go back to the patriarchs. Anytime they mentioned the fathers, it would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Paul says, my story of faith, God set me apart from birth. God chose me. He set me apart for his work from birth. And then he chose to reveal his son in me. And then he called me to go to the Gentile world and share this gospel. Paul's amazing story 
of faith. It did not begin on the road to Damascus. God's hand was upon Saul of Tarsus his entire life. He was preparing him. He was working in him. He, he, was, he was teaching him. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the primary number one rabbinical teacher of his day with his, with his school, who may have inherited the school from Hillel, a very famous rabbi in Jewish history even today. Any rabbi or scholarly Jew would understand that you mentioned Gamaliel the elder. He was, he was the light. And Saul sat at his feet, maybe his star pupil. And all the Old Testament that he studied and studied and studied. What do you think Paul taught when he went to the synagogues after his salvation? When he went to Berea, where we took our name from, what did he do? He came in and he unrolled the scrolls and they went to the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And he went to the Old Testament scriptures and he proved to them the prophecies of the Messiah and how Christ had to fulfill that. And it says the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they went to the scriptures. And they said they didn't run them out of the, they didn't run them out of town. They said, Paul, we're going to come back and hear you. We'll come back next week. And they came back throughout the week. The rabbis and, and the men would come and they would unroll the scrolls and lay them out. And they would go through and they would debate and argue. But they went to scriptures. Where did Paul get that understanding? Where did Paul get that wonderful knowledge of the Old Testament that was in his head that most of it was probably memorized? It was from God called him from his birth. And God was working throughout his life, his story of faith. Philippians chapter 3, Galatians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says this, beginning in verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for confidence. If you want to talk about confidence in the Mosaic law, let me talk about my story. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Jacob's favorite son, along with Joseph, the son of his young, his last son, Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What's significant about that? In this context, a Hebrew would be a, a Jew who studied and worshiped in Aramaic or Hebrew, as opposed to a Hellenistic Jew who would do so in Greek. These were the Orthodox. These were the most rigorous. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He grew up in Tarsus. But he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm not a, I'm not a hell. I studied in Hebrew and Aramaic. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As, and, and the Pharisees were the pastors. You know, the Gospels, oftentimes we do come away with a complete negative view of the Pharisees. But if you read Jewish literature, you will also find that the Pharisees were the people's leaders, and the Sadducees were not. I was a Pharisee. And as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. For whatever is to my profit... I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. Paul's story goes back to this. God was preparing him. God was preparing the rising star in Israel to feed a Gamaliel, set apart from birth, preparing him, for his ministry, 
for his calling to Christ. And then when he put all that in perspective, he says, I consider that all as much as rigorous, as much good as there was. And listen, friends, Judaism of this, of this age, it was, it was set apart from the rest of the world religions. That's why when you go to this, when you read in Acts about the God-fearers who came to the synagogue, it's because Gentiles were attracted to the high morality and high values and ethics in Judaism. And, and Paul says, but yet all these things I accomplished, I count them as nothing compared to what? For the Lord Jesus Christ, whom I now realize was really and is really the Messiah. His faith, his story, it was the completion of Judaism. It was not the end of Judaism. He says, I, he says Timothy, Timothy, I worship the one true God as my forefathers did. But God in his grace has now revealed to me that Christ really is who he said he was. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And I am bringing this message of the church, the body of Christ, to the Gentile world. This is Paul's story. Let's look at, let's look at another one. Acts chapter 22, where Paul tells his own story. Paul's story of faith. Timothy had a story. Paul had a story. And he's trying to encourage Timothy that their stories, while different, are the stories of God at work in people's lives. Verse 1, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. And when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became quiet. Because they weren't expecting this Hellenized Greek Jew to speak Aramaic. But he was fine in that language. That's how he studied. Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. The one true God. I was zealous for him. To the point I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council here can tell you. I even obtained letters to go to the brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And I wonder, it's in the Greek here, but did he use the word Yahweh? Did he use the word Adonai? Who are you? Who are you? I'm serving God. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, what, what do I do now? What would you do? Here you are, serving zealously the one true God, the God of your fathers. But you're persecuting those people who are trying to twist that and, and try to pull people away to something that they say is that, that this man came and claims that he is the Messiah and he is God. And Paul's trying to, Saul's trying to preserve the Jewish faith. And all of a sudden come to realization he is who he's, well now what do you do? He should be struck dead. What do I do now? Woe is me. The Lord says, get up. Go to Damascus, and I'll tell you what to do. This is Paul's story of faith, friends. And this is why, the last passage in Romans chapter 9, this is why in this amazing section of Romans 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul says this, and this is from his heart. 
I speak the truth in Christ. Verse 1, I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Really, Paul? Same Paul who says, I count everything lost for the sake of knowing Christ. I'd be willing to give that up and be cut off for Christ. How? For the sake of my brothers, my brothers and sisters, those of my own race, the people of Israel, these people of Israel, my people, my story, theirs is the adoption of sons. Adoption as God's family. God said to Israel, you are my son, Israel. I have begotten you. Theirs is the divine glory, the Shekinah presence of God that was to dwell in the Holy of Holies. That the Lord Jesus Christ said, look at your temple's desolate, it's gone, but it will come back. But they had that presence. The covenants, the Old Testament covenant relationship as God's own covenant people. The giving of the law, temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Jesus Christ, who, and friends, we have this emphatic statement of the deity of Christ. And from them is traced the ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you, We'll go back to 2 Timothy in closing here. The story of Timothy's faith. Paul is trying to connect them. He's trying to encourage him. It's a dangerous time. And he's trying to remind him, Timothy, God is at work. We have a story of faith. Mine goes back to, the, to, to, to my birth. Yes, I was converted on the road to Damascus, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't change God's, Right? He didn't change God's. He embraced the new development that he had been opposing, but he was corrected at this Christ and he received salvation. He received Jesus Christ as a savior and he received forgiveness for sins in the way that was now revealed. It was no longer through the Mosaic law. It was through Christ, but he didn't change God's. This is his story. Timothy. You have a story. Your story is connected with mine. But it's unique. And that you had a Gentile father. But your mother and grandmother were called. And you know what he says? He tells them, as we'll see this later on in Timothy. We'll see this in, in chapter 3.15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are what? able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. What are those holy scriptures? It's the Old Testament. And he says, Timothy, your story too began as an infant because his mother and grandmother were faithful Jews. He was never circumcised. So his father was the head of the family and they had to adopt his, his, his religion and his standing but they somehow managed to teach him as an infant the Holy Scripture. He grew up with the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament. Paul says what? They are able to make you wise 
unto salvation. We have a story, Timothy. And look at what is the result of this story? I want you to notice the connection in verse 6. It's because of these stories of faith, Paul says. It's for this reason. For what reason? Our stories of what God has been doing. That I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Why? God did not give. What a wonderful verse. God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Do you see the connection with their faith story to remind him? Sometimes people overdo the thing about Timothy and say, well, Timothy must have been really cowardly. He must have been, he must have been about ready to let go. He must have been timid. I don't know that we can draw that conclusion. I think Paul would have said this to anybody. This is dangerous times. This is under narrow. Paul is about to be executed, which means anybody in Timothy's standing would probably be executed too. There's a good chance he could face that too. I think Paul would say this to anybody. I don't think Timothy is singled out because he's a timid man. I think it's because Paul is counting on him. People are deserting. Now what does he do? Go back to your story, Timothy. Look how God has been at work. God is faithful. I have a plaque in my office. It's a rock that my brother Wilson Fossey had made for me, that Bernie Lorenz did. It's a rock about this big. You can come and see it sometime. And it's, it's uh, engraved with, with pressure, water pressure, chiseled out because of the verse that when we were in Israel, our second journey, that our guide kept reminding us of. And I told Wilson, and Wilson thought that was appropriate. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, you stand there in Jerusalem and you look around the hills. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people both this day and forevermore. We have a story. We have a story. Our story is God has been faithful to us. God was faithful to my mother. God was faithful to my in-laws. There's a story. My wife's been reading the story of her uncle, her mom's brother, who was the oldest in the family. It's a story of his life and mainly his service to the Navy in World War II, where the air, he was on aircraft carriers. He was at the helm when Doolittle's raid was launched. The aircraft carrier sunk underneath him when the last people off. He made it through the war. It's his story, but what is it? It's his story of faith. It's his story of faith. We have stories, and we need to be reminded. And there are times we need to be reminded that God has never let his people down. And we have a story that should encourage us to not be intimidated, to not be afraid, but that receive that spirit of power and love. Boy, that would be horrible if it was just power and not love. Power and love and good decision making. We should remember our stories. Joshua, I have a rock in front of me today. Any notice the rock here? You probably thought it was left over from the youth meeting last week, right? <laughs> last week it was a foot, right? 
This is not Gary's fault or Casey's fault. This is my fault. Joshua, chapter 4, as the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, this critical point in their story, critical point. Moses is gone. Forty years, he's gone. Joshua now is the leader. And they bring the people across the Jordan River. And it says in verse chapter 4, when the whole nation finished crossing the Jordan River, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you. Put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And so they did that. And they brought them over, and it says in verse 6, these are to serve these stones that you have just brought, and you've placed them where they are here on the new side of the Jordan River, our side, our home. They are to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them, the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When we crossed, it crossed the Jordan, the waters flowed up. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Chapter 4. Verse 21, he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up. At the end of it it says, so you might always fear the Lord your God. What do these stones mean? This stone here, I brought today from my yard. It just sits out in our yard, right to the, you come up the steps to the left, it's just sitting there in the garden area. But this, this, this stone, it's kind of heavy, is important because it's part of my story. You see, last year when we remodeled the church, we had to take apart a chimney over here that was made up of stones just like this. And we had a pile of these stones. And we said, if you want one, take one. And then several of you took one. And I took a few. And I took this stone from my church, my faith story, the place where I have been nurtured, the place where people have invested in my life, the place where I keep doing funeral services for people who invested in my life. And I took this stone just to remind me. I don't, when I see it, it's just a quick reminder of my story and of our story. What does this stone mean? This, this story means Norm MacDonald and Wilson Fossey. This stone means Doris Myers and Ken Myers. This stone means Bertha Tuvey and Larry Gabboy. And it also means some of you are still here today, Alan Carroll Lowen, people like many of you here who are leaders who have who've been part of my story. This is my story. And I just want to encourage you today, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, does anybody know your story? Does anybody know your story? Do our children, do they know our story? 
in, in this world where they have so many stories and they're so overloaded with information. Do they know our stories? Will it mean anything? Will their day come in their lives? An urgent day. An urgent day. When maybe that story of God's faithfulness to grandma and grandpa, to great grandma, to aunt and uncle, to mom and dad, that that story really meant something. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, God continues to surround his people both now and forevermore. Friends, God will never let us down. And we have a story. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage me today. You might not think your story is very important. It may not be very dramatic. But it's an amazing story. And it just might be the difference that God could use in a Timothy's life or a Mary's life to encourage them to draw strength and to remember what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? What does our story mean? Timothy, in light of our stories, mine and yours, let's stir up and rekindle that gift of God for we are not to be intimidated, but to have power and love and of the sound mind in our Lord Jesus Christ. After my father-in-law passed away, Trainer Hanson I, a uh, man of God, and when they cleaned out, they were getting ready to sell the house and cleaned out all this stuff and we're getting rid of things. And it's kind of like this thing, like, do you want it? Don't throw that away. Well, do you want it? No, I don't want it. Do you want it? No, I don't want it. You know, that goes, you know. There's a chair. This is an old chair. That's it, it actually just sat there. I got moved in the basement one time, and that chair was going to go. And before I went, I said, wait a minute. And I got a saw, and I cut the arms off that chair. And I cut those arms off because and those arms there were actually grooves this deep in the wood. Because my father-in-law had this habit when he prayed, going like that, and it happened so often that he wore grooves in that wood. I had to keep those arms. I still have them. Maybe I'll pass them on to next generation here. But it was a reminder. What are the effects of the next generations of our story of faith and our prayers and our care what a story we have. Father, we thank you that our story, it begins with you. And Lord, there's not a person here who claims you as their Savior that wasn't called and set apart at birth. And Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray if there be a person here today who's never received Christ as Savior, this this may be their moment to receive eternal life. You've been working in their hearts. You've prepared them for this moment. I pray, Lord, they will open their heart to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you love us so much. You died on the cross to pay for our sins and open the door of eternal life. May they accept you and say yes to you. 
And Lord, may we draw strength and courage. May we never be intimidated because of the story of your faithfulness, our story, your story, that we share together. In Christ, our beautiful and precious Savior and friend, we pray. Amen.